Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander. With me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow. And me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. As always, be aware, there are spoilers ahead. Outlander Soul gives a shout out to Sarah, who is our latest Patreon. Thanks, Sarah, for supporting Outlander Soul Podcast. All right, so welcome back, everyone, to Mm -hmm. Season 2, Episode 2, and Part 2 of our conversation about Jamie's Celtic spirituality and his interior life. But before we begin the conversation again, we Mm want to once again go back to our listeners who continue to give us wonderful feedback, and we we are just so very grateful to hearing from you. So, uh, Jamie, who have we got this week? We've got Elizabeth this week, who uh, kind of in the early days, we asked about what are the what's important for you about Outlander, kind of what role does it play in your life? And it's, it was something that we kind of held on to because we wanted to, well, give it the time that it was due, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Elizabeth writes that she often explains her love for Outlander like her love for Shakespeare, that Outlander has given her the tools and the vocabulary to explain her emotions and to be more present and aware of the emotions around her. She says, it has deepened my relationship with my husband, not only physically, but mentally, even though we'd been married for 15 years by the time I read it. She said, I thought I had understood our relationship and it was fine. I had no idea. Wow. (laughs) I assume she means that, you know, it's better now. It doesn't really say. Well, she says it's deeper into our relationship. Hopefully that's a good thing. All the sex scenes is what it was. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Well, she says not only physically, but mentally too. But yeah, you know. Again, I am always so heartened by the stories that people tell about the role that Outlander has played in their lives, the the doors that it has opened for them emotionally or mentally or, you know, just things that they might not have thought about before that the series has brought to them that I just think is amazing and why we find texts like this sacred. The stories that we tell ourselves are important. Yeah, they open us up. They they help <laughs> us grow. I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that you, you really can't grow unless some piece of you is just like, opened wide that's one of the things that this series has done for me is that it's it's opened me to well to so many things which is why we're here it's it's opened me emotionally it's opened me physically I just I just you know thank you Diana once again you're you're Mm. welcome anytime to come on the show and talk a little bit more about your theological understanding of this but we just want to thank Mm. you once again for writing this because it really does touch us definitely so we ended the last episode about Jamie's interior life and prayers around um, Jamie invoking those who have gone before him um those yeah. who have died who who bear witness to his life now so Dougal Colum his dad Murta and one of the examples that we didn't talk about that we forgot or that is important and needed more time as well was an example from Moby from written in my heart's own blood where Jamie feels a physical presence in response to his prayer. So he's talking about the young men that are in the militia, the Craddock boys, and he is praying, God, let me bring them back safe. That sounds familiar, right? That's the oh help, oh help, oh help, oh help prayer (laughs) (laughs) that we all have within us every once in a while. Yeah, and he talks about that he felt, the quote is, he felt, actually felt a hand rest briefly on his shoulder and knew who the third man was who walked with him. 
Tang Dai says, and Blaint saying thanks to his father. So he already had Marta with him, but then he feels a physical presence of his dad as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is the part where I tell you a story and how to kind of bring that in. And I'm going to use the example of something that happened with my husband. And he's mm-hmm. in the other room, so he's hearing me say this for the first time, <laughs> not realizing that he's going to be part of my podcast. Back in 2004, his dad died. I think it was just like four days before his birthday. And it was a difficult year we had a really bad hurricane we were back and forth between West Virginia making sure that his mother could move back into uh, Richmond so she could be closer to us and in in the process all of the toys all of the memorabilia all the books all of that stuff had to be sorted and Mm -hmm. anybody who's ever gone through this with parents or any other loved one who has passed knows that it's it's both wonderful and terrible at the same time it's heartbreaking and beautiful during that first year at christmas time my husband made a point to get out his father's trains and so we set up the trains in the front hallway of our house so it was right next to the christmas tree which by the Mm -hmm. way is a bit of celtic spirituality syncretism just (laughs) right next to the christmas tree and so we set them up and i think my son was about six years old and he turned them on and he's standing there with my son watching the trains go around and around and he felt a hand on his shoulder I kid you not, when I read this scene, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) other people, this has happened to other people. And I mean, of course, Jamie is a fictional character, but it -hmm. it has to have been something in Diana that knew that Mm -hmm. this, this is possible. But David knew, David knew in that moment it was his dad putting his hand on his shoulder and saying, you know, this is what I'm passing on to you. Totally Mm. beautiful moment. Mm. And I'm sharing it with you guys because it has, it has such strong implications here for what's mysterious and out there and we don't understand. And it's not Mm. something that I question. It's something that I believe. And I believe in that moment that his dad was there with us. And was there with him. I remember a colleague or friend from seminary who went on to be a chaplain in the army. No. Yeah. Navy. Talking about how she wished in seminary that we had talked about how to understand the prevailing belief in ghosts. Um, yeah. Because we don't, I mean, we don't talk about it in church. We don't talk about it in our religious communities really at all. And so I'm curious, kind of how many others have experienced that but aren't talking about that because we don't have any sort of formal framework within traditional Christian theology to deal with the presence of people <laughs> and, <laughs> after and, they've you know, died. From right. After they've died. Because I know other people who've given and told similar stories. I mean, my, my mother-in-law talks about how that, yeah, she felt after her father died that she felt him come into the room and sit and sort of depression on the bed sit on the bed while she was sitting there and so there are people who have those experiences I I don't think it's happened to me but but I've certainly felt the presence of things but whether or not 
Yeah, whether it's afterlife or something. So else, this is the it? point where you discover that I'm actually one of those people. Yeah, <laughs> who has seen things and has have mm-hmm. felt things. And during that year after Dave's dad died, Jasper saw him several times in the house, mm-hmm. and he he would come running to me and say, "I just saw Grandpa. I just saw Grandpa." Because I grew up in a family where I was very close with my grandmother. So talk about syncretism. They come from an Irish English background, and so mm-hmm. that has carried through the centuries, let me tell you, to very strong beliefs in spirits and in ghosts and in in those types of things. And so she kind of instilled that in me, even though my mother would not talk about it at all. She was Presbyterian. And so that was Mm -hmm. just not something we talked about. And that's not something you believe. Once you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. There is no in between. There is no in between. It's present with the Lord or not, period. So when Jasper would come and run to me and say, I, you know, I just saw grandpa, the, the response was, oh, that's wonderful. You're mm. so special to have been able to see him. Mm. Uh, it wasn't, oh my God, I got, <laughs> I've got to bring an exorcist into my house. It was, yeah. you know, or, or you're lying to me, which, which I got quite a bit as a child was you did not see that. And I'm like, but, but I did, it was right over there and it was a person. Mm-hmm. And then he disappeared. And so I, I saw these things as a kid. I every now and then see them as an adult. I often feel presences. Mm-hmm. I have felt physical presences actually touch me. And mm-hmm. we won't get into that here. But mm-hmm. the idea that we live in a universe that allows for that kind of connection mm-hmm. beyond such a separate thing as death is to me a comfort, a gratefulness to know that even though my grandmother died when I was 15 years old, I still dream about her and she tells me things and I I can still reach out and start talking and I suddenly feel her with me. I think it's important to remember that the majority of, of cultures in the world still believe that. Still put an emphasis upon those who, who have gone before us and who might still have a presence in our daily lives, that we are the anomaly. We, as, as Western Christians, are the anomaly to, to that. It, that's true. That's absolute truth. And I think we lose something in the idea when we try to rationalize. I mean, I, I'm not a non-science person, I promise you that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. I, but science still allows for space for mystery. It does. Not knowing everything. Right, and and I would be all about research on this, quite mm-hmm. a bit of research on this. I want to know if it's actually true, if this is something that's there, or if I'm just some kind of weirdo who sees these things. Well, I am a weirdo. I get that, but <laughs> <laughs> a weirdo who see these sees these things would be, you know, kind of a that would be something that I would really kind of want to know. Even in the cultures that does have space for ghosts or for some you know non-physical hard body presence right even those still have certain people who have higher sensitivities than yeah. others well and jamie seems to just accept it i mean he, yeah. he, he he's, he's just grateful his, for it the way he goes about his life he says mm-hmm. thank you thank you to mm-hmm. his father for showing up mm-hmm. he doesn't even thank god right there he thanks his father no he thanks for his showing up going on about jamie's prayers he even <laughs> Where Diana even emphasizes, um, <laughs> Jamie emphasizes the role of Gaelic prayers and why sometimes they're better. And by Gaelic, we're meaning the, the Celtic prayers. Why they're better than the Roman Catholic prayers that he would have been praying. In Echo and the Bone, when Lizzie's giving birth, he 
intentionally chooses the Gaelic prayers because they suit the situation. And he says, and I'll, I'm going to quote the bit, he says, Now the Gaelic prayers seem much more useful to the purpose, being as they were concentrated upon a specific request or blessing, and more pleasing both in rhythm and variety. Yeah. And if you asked him, that's if you asked Jamie, that's what he would have said, not that anyone was probably going to ask him. So it's from words for Claire, but, but she understood that Jamie chose those prayers because they suited the situation better. Right. And so um, he's, he's choosing which ritual, mm-hmm. which way of speaking to God. And so there must mm-hmm. be so many different ways to speak to God, which is what we, what we were kind of saying in the last episode is that, you know, there, there are these rites and rituals that we use. There mm-hmm. are these specific mm-hmm. prayers that we use mm-hmm. to invite God into our presence. But we also have specific prayers of supplication which is a big word that says mm-hmm. we're asking for something. So mm-hmm. if we're if you're in the hospital with a loved one and your prayers of supplication are prayers of asking for for healing, prayers of asking for mm-hmm. them to be all right. And there mm-hmm. are some very specific prayers for that you protection. can use mm-hmm. for protection, for request, and you can get those on the rosary. There are other specific ones in our prayer books. So you've got prayer books in the Presbyterian tradition as well as in the Episcopal tradition and in the Catholic traditions. They've got these special prayer books. Baptists seem to be more loosey-goosey about the prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know prayer books existed until I was in seminary. Really. Yeah, right, right, right. I remember seeing them when I would go visit my mother's church down in North Carolina because she was Presbyterian. It was always just, you know, you're praying off the cuff however there were certain things you always say there are certain ways to pray before a meal and there are certain ways to bless someone and you just kind of pick up that vocabulary as you were formed as a young child going through that yeah. that's how I still well pray. even in the Baptist tradition you always end a prayer with in Jesus name yeah or in Christ's name or in Christ's name we pray or in yeah. the in the name of, of Jesus Christ our Lord you always yeah. do that because I don't know if it's in the letters of Paul or if it's in the Gospels. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But there is... <laughs> I, oh, no, I it, know it, that it's somewhere in the New Testament. It, that, it's that definitely in the New pray. Testament. Because Whoever prays in my name or something a, like that's that. That's it. And so it is. it but, actually so it is, is in the Gospels. It yeah. It says, yeah. whatever you ask for in my name, it shall be given to you. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. It kind of is a load of horseshit because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember asking for a lot Jesus, of things. Jesus, give me a million dollars. Exactly, in the name of Jesus. And those things mm. didn't happen. So this gets into the idea of what you were asking in the last episode. What is mm. prayer for? Is prayer your magic wand? Yeah, you're wishing well. Is it your your power play? I can remember a woman that I went to church with. She was in my youth group. And she and I connected years later in theater. And she had left the church. She was she was done. And for good reason. Her father mm-hmm. was an asshole and he beat the shit out of her. And the church did nothing, you know? They they did yep. they did nothing. That's the story for a lot of women. Yeah. She says she remembers being told that whatever she said something in Jesus's name, that they would have to stop. Kind of like the whole demonic thing. If I cast yeah. out the demon in Jesus's name, then the demon will have to respond. And so there's all these stories that are in the book of Acts and in all the gospels of Jesus doing this. One night her father was in a rage and he was drunk and he goes to hit her and she holds out her hands and she says, I command you to stop in the name of Jesus Christ. And he walloped her, but good. He laid her out. And at that moment, she knew that... That was not the magic. It was not a magic word. And so the question I've got is really, what is it for? And I think Jamie is struggling 
when, I, I don't think he struggles with this, honestly. He knows the Gaelic prayer is good for this. He knows his, mm-hmm. oh, help, oh, help, oh, help is good for this. Mm-hmm. You know, he seems to know the right prayer for the right situation, mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem to trust that it's a, a magic Band-Aid. No. For Jamie, I think that for him, prayer is mindfulness. It is centering. It is putting himself in this place of God is around me. I am acknowledging this presence. I'm acknowledging that this might be beyond me and this waiting sort of idea. So there's even um, an echo in the bone, you know, after he leaves the house while Lizzie's in labor and He's going out for a bit of sanctuary or a bit of peace, and he goes to the mountain, and there's the there's this phrase, the feel of the mountain night reminds him of the feel of churches, a great peace waiting. And so I think for him that the prayer is around centering himself in that peace and in that waiting of what will present itself. And Diana writes this beautifully because they're yeah. not just waiting. At, at this time, Jamie is not just waiting for Lizzie to give birth. He's also waiting for war. The battle, yeah. Yeah, the battle yeah. that's about to happen. And so mm-hmm. the you know the battle that Lizzie is going through in her labor is kind of parallel mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. battle that he's about to enter. This is a great labor, a great giving birth that's, that's happening as it births the nation, as it births the... Because this is the revolutionary war that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of his thoughts he hears that lizzie has Mm -hmm. safely delivered he reflexively gives thanks Mm -hmm. and then when he also thinks about the war he also reflexively gives thanks it's almost like the tang da it's the thank you and and thank you for the presence Mm -hmm. also in that too or in that same vein in moby where he (laughs) where he learns that claire has has married lord john um, Uh. (laughs) <laughs> there's the line where he prays to release himself from the anger that reason had limits and prayer didn't so it took a little while for his mind to relax its grip its wicked curiosity its lust to know but after a bit he felt that he could go on and gather up the reins again right. so prayer as a pause and well, you know again as you're saying <laughs> he still knocks the hell out of lord john Cray, <laughs> but what else would he have done? <laughs> that particular quote actually comes at after him thinking, why did Lord John tell him the way he mm. did? He would have been fine not knowing it. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been fine, just fine. Oh, actually, no, that's knowing. Echo in the Bone. It's not in... in oh, yeah, 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 right. It's an yeah. Echo in the Bone. You're right, it is, because this is a preview. So you're right, it is an Echo mm. in the Bone. It was John Gray's saying Sacrifice. that we were both... Yeah. Yeah, it was his we sacrifice. Were sleeping with you, we weren't. That was what got him knocked out. I think. Right. Not well, that. yeah. So Jamie realizes that when he mm-hmm. hears about this, he's going to want to mm-hmm. hit something. And Lord John Gray realizes that if Claire is the one to tell him, and Claire would mm-hmm. tell him, he might hurt Claire. <laughs> not that he would. I don't think he yeah. would. But Lord John doesn't always know that. Doesn't always know what we know. And yeah. so Jamie rationalizes that Lord John comes to him and tells him this so that mm-hmm. he can take the brunt. He walks in as a sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. to, so that he can take that hit. And of course, he does get walloped. He gets completely mm-hmm. hit and recovers. But I, I think it goes back to what you were saying, is that prayer becomes a centering thing for him. Mm-hmm. 
It's mm-hmm. a it's a mindfulness, and in this particular scene, he uses it specifically for that. And well, and that's reflective of of the Celtic spirituality side of things. That the intense awareness of the divine presence in all things is is really similar to that Buddhist practice of mindfulness, right? Um, and that that centering centering idea that the calm is somewhere within us we can find it and we mm-hmm. just need to get rid of our monkey brain and let it sit over here and do its thing while we are our ourselves and it's it's a coming back to your senses type yeah. of thing which is definitely what he was trying to do um, <laughs> in that last one yeah so we were talking to a lot about how the similarity of the celtic spirituality was similar to the indigenous peoples of the United States, and mm. particularly in the Growlick prayer, as Jamie prays over the bear that he kills while the Native Americans are watching, and they're, they're shocked and surprised. But there's also this connection between the Gaelic Scottish and the Gaelic Irish prayers. They're very similar. In the Scottish prisoner, they've got an Irish companion that is trying to get another Jacobite war going, right? They're trying to overthrow the English yet again. And Jamie has been called in by Lord John Gray to help root out this movement before it gets started again. So there isn't another Culloden. Yeah. They come to a well in Ireland. It's a holy well, isn't it? It's a holy well in Ireland. There's lots of those. Yes, because in in Celtic spirituality, Mm -hmm. the well, the stones, the trees, the land around them would Mm -hmm. have God in it. They would have a spirit. Mm -hmm. And so this particular well, probably very similarly to the spring, white spring that Jamie goes to to pray in, this well is, is, is holy. And so Jamie, who is Scottish, and Quinn, who is the Irish man who's with them, bow their heads over the well and murmur something. And the words aren't the same. Each speaks his own version of the Gaelic, but the rhythm is similar. And it says here, Gray was unsure whether this was a prayer of thanksgiving for the provision of water or some ceremonial invocation against being poisoned by it. But he obligingly fixed his eyes on the ground and waited in silence until it was done. So, <laughs> so in true Lord John Gray form, he didn't judge. He just mm-hmm. bowed his head while they prayed. Spurs to the, to the people who are doing their thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've got such a crush on Lord John Gray. I've said this before, but I sure do. I just, I still just don't get that he and Claire had to get together. So anyway. <laughs> I'll I'll take that up with Diana when I see her next. <laughs> but going back to the just the Celtic spirituality side of it, not the Celtic Christian side of it, the way in which Diana writes about the fairy hunt in Scottish Prisoner would be a very yeah. a very Celtic understanding as well, and something that would be understood by both the Scots and the and the Irish. It would be across the Celtic tradition and not just for for the Scots. So Terry, you know a little bit more about the the fairy hunt probably than I do. So can you can you tell us a little bit more about so that? So I know a little bit about it simply from reading novels <laughs> mm-hmm. about this type of stuff. And in particular, the Dresden Files. There are fairies in that. I love all kinds of supernatural stories. And that's a particularly good series for anybody who wants to get into that. But there is the wild hunt in that. The wild hunt is really that. They, they take up... The one night a year or on particular nights, usually it's either on the, well, it it follows the the same schedule as the stones do. So on nights like Beltane or... Beltane. Yeah. Or or, or, uh, Samhain or... Yeah. Yeah. You you have to be careful when you're out late at night because the wild hunt could happen. And fairies are very well known 
for stealing humans. <laughs> and so yeah. this, yeah, so this, this wild hunt is the king of the fairies that yeah. has his whole entourage. Or queen. And, if you're, and the queen, the queen is there with them. And they, mm-hmm. they ride their horses through the woods and they ride their horses at night and they snatch people up who shouldn't be out. And, and you could be lost to the wild hunt. And if you're in the way and don't get snatched up, you could be killed. Fairies are not Tinkerbell. In the Gallic understanding of them and in the ancient understanding of fairies, they're actually very cruel and can be very vicious creatures. So the, the wild hunt is, is kind of a continuation of that. And they're only given those nights to do it. But I think it's interesting, in, you know, in, in light of the, the hunt and Jamie's prayers, he talks about in Scottish Prisoner, he's telling Lord John about, about the hunt. And he says that once the thought of the wild hunt had come to him while he was out hunting, and he'd spared not a moment in leaving the deer's carcass as fast as he could go. And he tells John, he says, I thought that they smelled the blood, and I had not said the right prayer to bless it. So they'd think it was is their own prayer. So the praying, the Grolic prayer, was about not just kind of thanking the animal for its <laughs> for its life, but also to guard it against being stolen by the fairies, I guess. Right, um, or, or to guard it against him being hurt because they were going to take yeah. it, you know. So if he yeah. was in the way, the wild hunt is yeah. really about a hunt, but mm-hmm. it's, it's whoever gets in the way. And again, fairies are really good about taking people. Well, and Claire... Yeah, so this introduces that idea, you know. So this goes back to the fairy hills in the very first book, Outlander, where Claire tries to save the baby that was left on the fairy hill, and the baby Mm -hmm. dies. The idea that the the fairies had already taken your baby in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. and you were giving the the baby back so you could receive your baby. You were given a changeling. Yeah. Um, You were given a fairy child, and so you had to give the fairy child back. Right, right. But that that something is different with Claire, too, and it's being hinted at throughout, throughout all the books that she may have been a descendant of the fairies or mm-hmm. of what people have ultimately called fairies. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably, or at least that's my, my theory of what's coming up, is that somehow these special places that are marked with the stones deal with the people who've got this particular DNA. Mm. Yeah, and, and so the, the fact that Jamie is talking about the fairy hunt really kind of drove that in to me that we, I was just like oh Claire's got to be a fairy now something's gonna happen <laughs> she's gonna have to see something <laughs> I mean she's she's already seen the ghost of the um and, and we're gonna have a whole episode on ghosty stuff and supernatural mm-hmm, stuff I promise but she sees the ghost mm-hmm. of the warrior who comes down in Drums of Autumn yeah the fellow time traveler yeah so she yep. sees these mm-hmm. things in a way it, Jamie clearly does as well well maybe this is a good time to sort of take a little bit of a break and just kind of say if you like what you're hearing or if you appreciate what we do we could really use your support so the ways in which to do that are on our website at outlandersoul.com and you can give on a regular basis so a lot of podcasts have kind of a subscription and if you know whatever you think think the podcast is worth you commit to giving over the course of the, each month and so from a, a dollar and up and we've got different levels of subscription as well so you could be mrs fitz or you could be marta with different rewards but, everybody wants to be um, marta <laughs> everybody wants to be marta yeah my next my next dog this sounds horrible as my two dogs are sitting here but the next one that joins the family it, 
its name will be Myrta. Um, oh, how lovely. Yeah. 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 So if you um, can't give financially, and we understand that because we, yeah. we know that place too, there are a couple of ways that you can do stuff with no cost to you. So if you listen mm-hmm. to us on Stitcher or if you listen to us on Radio Public, those podcast platforms, we get a little kickback mm-hmm. every time that happens. But we also love you iTunes. So mm-hmm. if you go to iTunes and you enjoy what you're hearing, make sure you give us a rating. The more ratings we have, the more we show up on iTunes. And and that way we can get a stronger listenership. And this all has knock-on effects, right? So as we build our audiences, as you share and you uh, recommend us to other listeners, both via the reviews on the different sites, but also like sharing our, our social media posts, that kind of stuff. As we have a larger audience, we then have more capacity for if we did want to do ads, we've got a little bit, we can say, hey, um, we reached this many people and and then we can make money that way too. So there are means and ways of getting it and, and all of it's connected to your help, basically. Go out there and show your love in however way you feel best <laughs> to do it. We love you and we love all the connections that we've been making here and the, the new community that we've been grateful to be a part of. And we'll keep talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one way or the other you're going to keep hearing from us so we we talked a little bit in the last episode about the prayers of warriors mm-hmm. going out into the fight and how jamie recognized his wife as something special whether it was a, what we, we might be a fairy but he does recognize her as a white woman a wise woman la dame blanche And so he, before battles, both in Dragonfly and Amber, as well as in, I think, Echo and the Bone, he asks for her blessing. And I don't, I can't remember specifically, but doesn't he bow his head and she sort of touches touches his head? It's a total Um, ritual. And like a, a, yeah, ritualized blessing. He kneels before her and bows his Mm -hmm. head and she pronounces Mm -hmm. the blessing of Michael of the Red Domain, which I I don't know, unfortunately, but it seems something Mm -hmm. that Claire was actually familiar with. And so she offers this, but he finds a way of finding that blessing even when he's just by himself. I don't know if we talked about this at the beginning of this episode or the last episode about Invergen's. Mm-hmm. The, the little novella that writes about Jamie prior to going to Castle Leoc and, and meeting Claire, and actually prior to his father being killed and, and being whipped, that he's walking into battle. This is when he is in France, and he's walking into battle. And so instead of worrying and worrying and worrying about what the battle is going to happen, he starts going through the Hail Marys. Mm-hmm. He starts using his fingers to count the rosary, even though he has no rosary in his hand. And as he's doing it, he kind of falls into a rhythm. And then he says, eventually the slippery thoughts came stealing back, memories and small flashes, quick as sun and water. Some he fought off, but some memories he seized, no matter how painful they were. He cut that memory off short, too, saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, savagely out loud, just so he could get his mind in the moment. And as soon Again, as he... Again, that centering idea. Yes, the idea that this ritualistic prayer is going to bring him back to the moment where he, he can't be bothered by his memories or his thoughts because he's got to be about the task, task at hand. And then yep. suddenly everybody beside him starts saying hail mary full of grace pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen and they all start marching solemnly with this rhythm of this prayer that is so ingrained Mm -hmm. in them that it becomes their marching orders in in so many ways but 
that it says he felt the wall of prayer was a barricade between himself and the wicked sly thoughts and closing his eyes briefly felt his father walk beside him and Brian Fraser's last kiss soft as the wind on his cheek Mm-hmm. And Brian is still alive in this particular one. You pointed that out in the last yeah. episode. Well, and and Hail Mary is a, a traditional Roman Catholic prayer, but but comes from you know <laughs> pre-Christian stuff yes. too. I think. Yes, it does. <laughs> but also, you know, the I found the the Michael prayer, the Saint Michael prayer, and it's also from Catholic tradition. Saint Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls. Wow. So that would explain why Claire knows it. It's a Catholic prayer written by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Ah, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be after the Reformation, I believe, right? Because it was Pope Leo the Tenth who was okay. after. Here's a funny thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Pope Leo the Thirteenth wrote the Saint Michael Prayer printed below in 1884. Yeah. Okay. So it was post Jamie time. But oh, well, now that's time. weird. So Claire, no, it's not. Claire knows that prayer. No, it's weird that Jamie, Jamie would ask so for it. So she's well, but she's the white woman. Oh, she, so she gives must a blessing. Have. Oh, so she and so that's have... so she chooses a prayer that she knows that he doesn't. Oh, so she gives him. She gives him a future blessing. How yeah. cool is that? I don't think I realized that. Oh, well, I just, I just saw Way. it. I just noticed it too, so no, I didn't know that either. Way to go, that Diana. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. So for, for Jamie, it's this woo-woo, oh, oh, you know, this is something different. New, and yet, and yet Claire, it's, it's something historic. And yet it's his tradition. It's just not his tradition mm. yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. Isn't that cool? Huh. Wow. Okay, cool. Wow. Um, so you had an observation from Adoring Outlander. Yeah, so there's a book called Adoring Outlander that's um, compiled of several different chapters written by different people. And so Eleanor Ty wrote a particular chapter on melodrama, gender, and nostalgia, the appeal of Outlander. But specifically, she talks about kind of romance, spirituality, and transgression in this particular section. And what she says is more than just an attractive male hero, what Outlander offers is elevation of earthly desires to the realm of the sublime and the spiritual. So we're talking about Jamie as hero, but but Jamie's interior life. And we see that, again, in elevating... He's not just this beautiful man who's the warrior, la la la, but he's also got this really deep spirituality. Yeah. And so she says the sublime is associated with the noble, the awe-inspiring, the magnificent, and almost heavenly or divine. And so in Gabaldon's books, love and passion are never just physical and sensual. They encompass a range of emotions that carry us from our mundane world to somewhere above the ordinary. So many of our favorite lines from Outlander are from this fertile mix of passion and spirituality like the marriage vows that are uttered uh, in Gaelic that translates, 
your blood of my blood, bone of my bone. I give you my body that we, t- we too might be one. I give you my spirit till our life shall be done. And so this addition of the pagan vows to a, you know, what is pre-Christian to what, you know, the mass basically that they had and mm-hmm. in, in, yeah. in being married is, it just adds another level of, of symbolism to, to Claire and Jamie's union. Yeah, that actually goes straight back to the first four episodes that we did. The yeah. the idea of romance theology and what we were mm-hmm. trying to say that, that there is this connection, uh, this relational connection. And physically, the two people coming together here is a spiritual connection as it is a physical connection. It's it's not we have this physical connection and it gives us a spiritual connection. It's the two are actually one thing. They work in conjunction. Or our, our spiritual connection is more important. Again, that's a hierarchy that does mm-hmm. not exist in in scripture honestly and and should not exist in in our theology in my in my opinion because i think it's a dangerous position to be in but the idea that two people can be together and and why his spiritual life and his interior life really has a lot to do with his physicality with Mm. claire that it's a spiritual act for him most of the time when in the sex scenes it does tend to be Something much deeper for Jamie. Yeah, well, and we, we always quote this quote that he's, you know, Jamie always says he feels like God himself when he's inside her. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a spiritual act for them, and it's a spiritual act for, for Claire as well. And we've, we've covered that in other episodes. But I, I think that Claire and his spiritual spirituality are strongly connected. I think yeah. that there is almost a saintly journey here for mm. after Claire. So back in the day, back in the first centuries after Christ's death, after Jesus dies and Christianity is born, you had saints who would go off and and be by themselves. Hermits. Hermits. They would live in caves and these Mm -hmm. were very highly spiritual people and they were Christian superstars, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so you got Mm -hmm. St. John the Divine and you've got some others that later when Christianity becomes the norm, they are having to do deeper and more difficult things to prove they're super dumb. They're they're super... <laughs> their righteousness, their, superpower, their, their, righteousness. their dedication to, to being a saint, even though they weren't saints at the time, being holy people. Yeah, which is how you get other hermits later in time. You get anchorite nuns who specifically mm-hmm. wall themselves into churches. Jamie expects to die at Culloden. Every moment that he has after Culloden seems like an unfortunate mistake. Mm-hmm. If, if we go through Voyager, he spends seven years in a cave and during that time he is he is alone and his sister will say it's it he's not good alone he shouldn't be alone he's not meant to be that way he then does his penance he goes to Ardsmuir and he he does penance and creates in that walled off place that sequestered place a community of all men like you would in a Christian intentional community like you would in a monastery almost with the rhythm of the day and yes everything this is stories ritual this is a very interior time for him to spend the seven years alone and to question all the things that have happened to him because he had just a much harder time than claire did i don't care which way you cut it (laughs) Claire goes back, she carries the child, she leaves behind the man she loves, who she thought had died, but her big horrible burden to bear is 
a bad marriage. And being without Jamie, but yeah. And being without yeah, Jamie. So this is her big, horrible burden to bear. And mm. she actually succeeds in the 20th century by becoming this doctor. She, mm-hmm. she actually betters herself and she gets to be with her child. Jamie goes through this horrifying thing. And he then is, lives in a cave for seven years. He goes to Ardsmuir for three years or so, however long it was. Then Hellwater. Then marriage to Leary. And then he's time working at, at the press. It all is kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't know, it, it, it all has kind of the movement of the life of a saint. Yeah, it does. And his spirituality, it deepens during that time to a point where it's just, I, I, I don't know, I, I think that those events don't actually hold up his spirituality, because he's not with Claire. His spirituality develops when he's with Claire. But he doesn't seem to question it. That it's just happening to him. He's not... He's not doing woe is me, right? Never. He's, he's not going, why have you forsaken me? The only time he does that is with Claire. When he says, mm. why do I have to bear everybody else's burdens? Whenever yeah. she asks him to save Frank. It's the only time he yep. does that. And, and every other time, it's not like his life is on hold. It certainly isn't because, you know, 20 years go by. And he experiences all these difficult things during that 20 years. His life is in danger. Mm-hmm. He's almost killed. He almost dies several times. And yet the only connection we really see with any supplication, with the exception of what we see with Lord John in Scottish Prisoner and the rituals that he does there over the well and the talk about the wild hunt, is when he's connecting with and lighting a candle for Claire and but praying she that she be safe, she, safe, and, she the and the child. Yeah. Well, one of the things that sort of occurs to me, so we've been talking about prayer for Jamie as this kind of this centering idea. And one of the things that stands out to me the most of, uh, in his 20 years without Claire are his prayers, especially Scottish Prisoner, obviously, like I said before, because we see so much from his point of view as opposed to you know, observing elsewhere. But yeah, so I wonder these 20 years, if they are centering, if that's kind of, you know, the, the pilgrim, the... Or the saint's sort of life is turning inward and centering oneself on God or on just kind of getting through the day. The ritual of continuing to live. Not knowing why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just doing what you can to be. Yeah. I don't know. It just makes me wonder. We get to wonder. We get to him wondering why he's not dead. Why he hasn't mm. died. But he doesn't seem to question whether what he did to save everybody from Culloden was efficacious. He's not expressing regret. No. He's not beating himself up about it. But he, he beats himself up over Geneva. Yeah. And he does regret... Her. But he does not seem to have the same regret for killing Dougal. Mm-hmm. He does not seem to have the same regret for trying to stop Culloden. While he doesn't seem to enjoy life like he mm-hmm. would have if Claire had stayed with him, he also doesn't seem to regret not dying. And I don't know if it's the constant prayer of may she be safe she and the child may she be safe she and the child that's always in his thoughts that keep him centered that keep him plodding on knowing that he he gave her up and it and that and she's just gone we see jamie as suicidal after blackjack at the end of the first book but we don't see him as that in this which i think is interesting there was a television show back in the 80s um 
And it was, I think it was like called Strange Stories or something like that. It was um, mm-hmm. Amazing Stories. That's what it was. Oh, and yeah, Steven yeah. Spielberg produced it. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I remember this, there was this one episode of Amazing Stories, or maybe it was um, an, a re-up of The Outer Limits or something. But the story was, it's a futuristic society, and the way you are punished for breaking the law is that you're given a mark on your on your forehead and if you've got that mark on your forehead you are ostracized mm-hmm. you you cannot participate in society so it's like being in a prison mm-hmm. except that you're in the world yeah. so you you're can't get m- medical mixing attention with people, but they're not mixing with you yeah right they cannot recognize you in a grocery store so you can't buy anything you can go in and steal everything you want but then you get another extra so many months with the mark on your forehead so this guy, he does something wrong, and he's a real jerk. He's like, yeah, 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 this isn't going to bother me. Oh, this is a piece of cake. This is so much better than something like jail. And so they put the mark on his forehead, and he goes through the year, and it's horrible. He almost dies because he can't get medical attention. By the end of the year, he's just screaming for somebody to love him and to recognize that he's there, but everybody mm-hmm. continues to ignore him. And you think that the story ends with the mark coming off. But it doesn't. The mark comes off at the end. He's welcomed back into society. And he's grateful, grateful, grateful to be back. He doesn't take anything for granted. And he decides that he's going to follow the straight and narrow path because he never wants to go back there again. Mm -hmm. Until he walks down the street and a woman looks at him pleading in her eyes with the mark on her forehead. Please see me. Please recognize Mm -hmm. me. I I can't handle this anymore. Mm-hmm. And he stops what he's doing, and he holds her, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. breaking the law. And yeah. so he willingly goes back to wearing the mark on his forehead just to give this woman the recognition and to, and to say, you're, you're loved. Mm-hmm. But the, the way the story ends is this time he wears his mark as a mark of valor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This time yeah. he carries the mark with him because he knew he was heroic in that moment. And I think that's part of what Jamie is kind of going through here. His inner life is, is yes, it's get through this day, do the thing, do the ritual, but may she be safe, she and the child. Yeah. Is his memory, is his touchstone to, I've done this, she's safe. Yeah. I can live my life now because I, I carry this mark, this pain, this whatever it is that I've got in me. I can carry it through the cave. I can carry it through Ardsmuir. I can carry it even through a marriage with Leary. I can carry it because I know she is safe, she and the child. I did this one act of beauty and love Mm -hmm. and kindness for my family. And knowing that there's honor in the decisions that he made. In this situation, you can't really talk about regret because he knows he did the best he could that there really yeah. wouldn't have been anything he would have done differently because they tried that <laughs> they tried yeah. to do well, it differently and, and it didn't work <laughs> i think that kind of goes back to the whole faith thing you know mm-hmm. when claire experiences the bleeding and she asks for the prayer they've done mm-hmm. everything they can yeah and and the next thing they can do is reach out to something that may be a little bit more that they, mm-hmm. that they can't do. Jamie seems to be able to kind of lay aside any doubt that he did what was the best he could. Claire mm-hmm. always questions it. Yeah. She always questions, 
you know, whether she could have done something more, something better, something different to make life better for Frank, to make life better for Bree. Could she mm-hmm. have done something to make sure that Claude didn't happen? She's always mm-hmm. questioning this and mm-hmm. it's always in conversation with her past. Yeah. Jamie does not seem to be in that conversation, yeah. even though the rape with Blackjack Randall continues to haunt him. But even then, you know, he finds ways to live with it. And and that's another yeah. episode of kind of how Jamie's sort of post-trauma. How, how does forgiveness work and how does, if there is. Yeah, yeah, we will do a specific episode on that. We've got other episodes coming up around just sexual violence in Outlander and one specifically around Jamie's rape, but then another one on others. But we, we'll explore all of that later. So... I think that's probably a good place to end, right? I think so, too. So, Jamie, why don't you tell a little bit about their homework, as we like to call it. Yeah, so your homework is just be in touch. Tell us what you think, what questions that you might have, what we might have missed, things that occur to you as you're listening. We want to hear your thoughts. Send us an email, send us a voice memo, contact us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd just love to hear from you. Yeah, and if this has any, you know, kind of parallel with your journey. If you understand Jamie's journey a little bit, if if your journey is similar where you're able to find that centering prayer and it's made a difference in your life or you've been able to look in retrospect at all that that you've been through and, and carry intention you know, the idea of somebody is in charge and the idea of I've got a lot of work to do here, that conversation Mm. that we were talking about at the beginning of last episode between the work that we do in our free Mm. will and the position that God is in God's power and sovereignty. We would really love to have, have that conversation as well. You know, if you see some parallels of being able to hold those two together in your own understanding of faith, Um, and your own understanding of the universe and how it works. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to hearing what people think. Me too. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Later. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are a lot Lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.